0: nasties tonight we came rolled in this afternoon from a couple day deer hunt me and my dad and my boys and um, my lesson was mostly finished but not enough to really go home and take time to get cleaned up so it's either be here with the with the uh the gear and the deer blood on my pants or not be here at all so well or maybe be late or no be unprepared i'd rather be prepared and have the good so Um, we are in Genesis. Let's go ahead and turn there. I'll I'll open with prayer. You can turn me down a little bit. Thank you. Lord, we appreciate the time that we're going to have together tonight. I am just so grateful for the uh, truth that you are revealing right now through your word and through hard work and through poking and kicking and scratching and and just rich truths that just impact our whole view of the gospel and i I'm thankful for what you're showing us in john I'm thankful for the revelation that you've given us in the sun and uh that you've explained yourself in the sun and uh, we just treasure that reality and Lord tonight, as we dig into Genesis, I pray that you'll just show us your more of your design and your plan and show us how you are uh, even now preserving a remnant and um from the very beginning that you've had a plan and that you've had types that have revealed or that are revealing to us the riches of the gospel and helping us understand the finished work of Christ. I pray that tonight that uh, you'll just bless our time in the Word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me make a brief comment about Sunday. I've had someone ask me a question. It's a really good question. Um, trying to kind of reconcile, what does it mean that we can see his back And if you've been working through the shepherd's guide, you know it was either Monday or Tuesday that you could see that it was Nadab and Abihu and Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel were eating with God and they walked away with descriptors like... Does anybody remember? Kind of quizzing on the shepherd's guide. Descriptors like... All right, I'm not going to do the shepherd's guide anymore. No, I'm kidding. I'll keep doing them whether you're faithful in them or not, but... The, um, this this picture of these guys eating with God, they walked away with the only descriptors that they had were of his feet and what he's standing on. So that'd be funny, you know, if you're like, hey, man, I, I met this guy today. You know, you go and tell your family, I met this guy today, and you're telling them about it. Like, oh, what did he look like? Well, he had on converse, and he was standing on concrete. What? Did you, really engage, did you really engage him and get to know him, and did you see him? And th- just a few chapters later, it's saying that anyone that looks on God cannot live or sees his face cannot live. So there's something, there's a disconnect there, and it's not a discrepancy in the Scripture. You need to understand that. <laughs> I mean, that's the first place you need to live. When you see things that don't look like they reconcile in the Scripture, just go ahead and land in the place where the discrepancy lies with me, resides. I don't know if that's the proper use of lie. Lays. Lies, lame. The discrepancy is with me. And it may be also with translation stuff. But something that, that, that comes up some, sometimes in the Scripture, especially when you're talking about other languages, is idioms. Anybody know what an idiom is? Uh, yeah, I could eat a horse. You know, if I were to say that to someone from Kazakhstan, they'd say, hey, man, that's cool. We eat horse too. Because they do eat a horse over there. And you're like, no, oh, no, I didn't mean I want to eat some horse. It's just saying I'm hungry. That's an idiom for I'm hungry. So you'll see idioms in the Scriptures like face-to-face, God and man, God and Jacob were face-to-face. They weren't face-to-face in like me walking up to you because no one can see God's face and live. So it's idiomatic for they were intimate in terms of their relationship with each other. They knew each other. They engaged each other very intimately, very closely. And there are guys, and that's not something that, I, that I've just conjured up either. There are guys that study Hebrew, like they spend their whole life studying Hebrew. And you might think, well, if they're just studying the scripture, then you're kind of studying against itself and it's not really providing any extra information. They study Hebrew texts and Hebrew writings and they see how those texts are used and they use those to help you understand idioms and things like that, patterns. Uh, rhetoric tools that help us understand our translations better. So that's not something that somebody just conjures up. Okay, so when you see things like that and you see what seems to be a discrepancy, just land in the place where okay, I know that the word is true. <laughs> don't don't doubt that. And if things don't seem to line up, then it means that maybe these are different witnesses to the same event. Like the gospels sometimes have things that seem like. Hey, well, I thought this gospel said this, and this gospel said this. Like, in one case, Jesus' head is anointed uh, with the nard. In another case, it's his feet. So, which is it? Is one right and one wrong? No, they're both right. Is it possible to anoint head and feet? Yes. So, that's just an example that you may have different witnesses to the same event that may have different reports that complement each other, not disagree with each other. I know, babe. I'm sorry. Um, I know. Well, I got the goods tonight, though. I got the goods right here. Um, so y'all dig into that, uh, that shepherd's guide. I'm telling you now, granted, it's not the only thing. I don't have my feelings hurt if you don't study the shepherd's guide. But I will say this. If you're a shepherd and you're not studying anything, I won't have my feelings hurt, but I will be urgent about that. There are, there are tools out there. Your, your Bible study class uh, that you're meeting with on Sunday mornings may have a guide that you're working through, or you may have a book that you're reading together as a family. Be intentional. The Shepherd's Guide is just one option for you. And it kind of goes with the Sunday's message, so it gives you something that you can kind of engage to help you help that find purchase. So that's just one thing. You won't hurt my feelings. Though. Okay, to, or tonight we are in Genesis Chapter, let's see here, chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, basically what we've engaged in chapter 4 so far has been Cain and Abel. And uh, if, you were, if you were here last Wednesday, then you really, um, you know what I'm talking about when I say that it was an incredible feast, an incredible treat. For me, for the first time, reading the story of Cain and Abel and for the first time not identifying with Abel, which is the way I've read it my whole life, well, I'm not a murderer. I must be Abel. You know, you you identify with characters when you read something. You do. I mean, you you connect with them, and all my life I've connected with Abel. But for the first time in preparation for last Wednesday, I said, oh, no, I'm connecting with Cain. That's my story. And Abel, the blood of an innocent, dying. And then another one, actually, through grace, surviving. <laughs> I, Cain is my story. And then Abel is really a type of Christ. So we're going to pick up in verse 17. And what, what we're going to do tonight, hopefully, I, I, think, I think we can go verse 17 all the way through chapter 5. <clears throat> tonight, we'll see. But what we're going to look at tonight is two family lines. Cain's family line, and then the guy that replaced Abel, which was who? Seth. Y'all don't have to whisper. You can say it. Just Seth. Just come right on out and say it, because you're right, whoever whispered it. (coughs) So Cain and Seth, we're going to look at their two family lines. One line is going to be just kind of continuing that picture of Satan's offspring. That's why I wasn't there yesterday, because I was hunting. Todd, yeah. The other line is Eve's offspring. Okay? Okay. Remember those two pictures, Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. And we're going to be, see a picture of those not walking with God and those who do. Okay, so this thing that I, it's so funny because I was like, man, I don't know what we're going to do with these genealogical lists. When you really just take the time and you take pen to paper and you start asking questions, you see these things start to emerge. So hopefully you'll see the treat tonight. Let's start in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore, bore Enoch. I say Enoch. Enoch. I hope you're okay with that. Christy, did you... Somebody laughed at me today. Scott or somebody for saying that. Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methashel, and Methashel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech, Lamech said to his wife, or wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Okay, that's, we're going to kind of chew on this, gnaw on this for a minute. Okay, who does Cain marry, first of all? His sister. You can look over to chapter 5, verse 4, and see, The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were eight hundred years, and he had other sons and daughters. He lived for 800 years. People live a long time then, okay? And thus all the days of Adam lived for 930 years, and he died. So it's, it's a sister. I mean, there's nobody else, no, other, no other option. And um, this was before it was really forbidden. Okay, really, if it had been forbidden, there wouldn't be any, any future of the race initially. So, um, Now, Cain's city, he names his city Enoch. What are some of the things you can learn about city life in Enoch? I want you to look at these passages. Starting in uh, verse 17, really through everything that we read there, what are some things you can learn about city life in Enoch? Okay, what makes you say that? Okay, okay, we're going to explore that. Okay, give, me, give me some other observations about Enoch, life in, life in the city there. It's there. there there's, there's some characteristics of Enoch there. And I'm not talking about Enoch, the person I'm talking about, the city. Although I may be talking about some personalities. Okay, that's kind of a hint. I'm teaching you some, some cool Bible study here too. Okay, there's music in the city. All right, and what, what are the instruments? Lyre and pipe. Okay? Lyre is the same thing as a harp. Pipe is a flute. Okay? Flute. And they live in tents. Okay? are they So they were making some tents. With city life, there may not be necessarily anybody living in the tents, but somebody's actually producing them, sounds like. Maybe um, uh, kind of an industrial industry, birth of industry there, maybe. Okay? That's uh, bronze and iron craftsmanship, the birth of the Iron Age or... Bronze Age, or are they all at the same time, right there at the, in the city of Enoch? Huh? Yeah, okay, there's murder going on in the city, sounds like. Crime? <laughs> Good. Yes, polygamy? Okay, we'll look at that in a moment, too. What else do you see? What What is uh, Lamech's, what are his words there that he says, Hey, wives, let me tell you something. What What, is, what does that look like? What is that? Yeah, it's boastful. What is it? Okay, but now I don't mean the character of it. I mean, what is it in terms of prose, rhetoric, na- narrative? What is it? What type of writing is it? It's poetry. He got a poem, a revenge poem. It's the second poem in the Bible. What's the first poem? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Esau. Where's that? That's Adam naming wife, okay? That was the first poem. This is the second poem. So apparently we've got all kinds of city things going on, birth of music and musical instruments, birth of bronze and iron craftsmanship, this really continuation of poetry. Uh, there's murder, um, maybe some sort of in- industrial produ- production going on. Uh, basically, this city, this Cain's city here, Enoch, this city is symbolic of great civilizations with no God. Okay, you're going to see the way this thing unfolds. How do you know that? You're going to know that by the contrast with this other line that we're going to consider here in a moment, Seth's line. Okay, When you contrast the difference between these two lines, between what's noteworthy in one line and what's noteworthy in another, by who lives long lives and who is spared a long swim behind a big ark. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about there? You're going to get a sense of what's going on in different places and understand that this city is symbolic of the great civilizations that are void of God, like ancient Greece. That's not a city, but an ancient empire. Okay. What? Merriment. Yeah. Yeah, there's kind of a, it's really a picture, to me, it's a picture of all kind of things going on there. In an, each in and of themselves is not to be condemned. In fact, music is turned, when turned Godward, is, is a form of worship. You know, the lyre and the, the pipe can be used in worship. Um, the arts can be used in worship, but they can also become a God in and of themselves. And that's really what's taking place here when you see it in contrast to Seth's line. And also when you see it in contrast to what eventually happens to city in Genesis. All right, just hold that thought, be chewing on that as we look at a few things. With advancements of civilization comes violence, also the crime, murder, at the hands of Lamech, the poet. Okay? Now, do you remember where Cain settled? Remember the nod? Remember what nod means? Huh? Huh? Wandering, yeah. It's like he settled in unsettlement. <laughs> it's weird. He settled in this place where he's actually uh, w- wandering. But the irony here is this place where he settled, he's planted a city. And I think that's worth kind of chewing on. Wait a second. He's, he's settled in, in the place of wandering, yet he's settled in the city, and he's about art, poetry, or his family line, and everything about him is about all these things that are void of God. It's just wandering. It's just busyness. It's just a bunch of activity that has no nothing, no character other than just wandering, aimlessly. It's just the irony there as those things fit together. Though they, it reminds me of Romans chapter one. Though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what fools. Because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Romans 1 is this story, okay, among other stories, including maybe where we live. Okay, where does this city life move eventually in Genesis? I gave you a little tip there, a little hint to be chewing on, gnawing on. See what kind of Genesis readers you are. Where does city life move beyond the flood? Babel. Babel. Turn to... Just kind of keep your finger in Genesis 6 and turn over to Genesis 11. <clears throat> I'll start in verse 1, just for a second context while you're turning. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, that they... And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves. Okay, who are they building it for? This is about us. Let's build something for ourselves. A city. There it is. And a tower with its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. This thing is about them. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. A little prophetic picture there. Enoch was kind of an early Babel Music. Arts, um craftsmanship, all that kind of stuff going on, void of God, interesting observations about battle, a uh, Babel, a godless city that's characterized by building for yourselves, building big to make a name for yourself. Now that might I, I want you I want to say that again, and I, I want you to think about that as somebody else. I want you just to think about us and our character for a moment, the kind of things that we're prone to. Hey, man, let's go bigger and better. I mean that's Texas, right? Bigger and better, finer, fancier. I mean, let's get it as big as we possibly can. And I think we need to recognize, first of all, this doesn't condemn all building, but it certainly should make us pause to consider motive in building a house, motive in buying a car, motive in building a church building, (laughs) to really examine it. Who's this about? Is this for yourself or is this about God? Is this really, and if you ask the question, is this really... A need, or is this just something I want to make a name for myself for having the nicest house in the neighborhood or the baddest car? The Cain family line City Life says, Build big, play hard, enjoy the arts. Who needs God? Now realize, I understand as you're, as you're, as you're thinking these things, hearing these things so far, just so based on the verses that we've read, you might be going, man, I really see all that. You'll see it in contrast to Seth's line. And you also see it in contrast to recognizing what actually happened to Cain's line eventually when Noah was around. They went on a long swim behind a wooden ark. Okay, Now I want to contrast this city life in Enoch with a few passages. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 page uh, 982 <clears throat> verse 20 but our citizenship is in heaven now this this is not an isolated passage i'm going to show you about five passages that are what are characteristic of the people of god that would be characteristic of Seth's line because there's no mention of big city building with Seth's line it's an it's an interesting absence Listen to this series of passages. Verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to him, Himself. There's nothing really in there about all ourselves. It's all about Him. You notice the different orientation. Okay, Now here's the next passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then, it's just a couple pages over, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Huh, there it is again. Don't seek the bigger and the better. Don't seek the, the longest and the highest. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Seth's line, lineage, people of God. <laughs> That's our story here. Do you? Are you? Are I hope you're personalizing this. This is our, it's all connected. Seth's line and what we're seeing here. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to ask you in a minute for the point of these passages that I'm reading and the contrast with Enoch, the city of Cain, okay? So be be mindful of that as we read these last couple passages, all in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he was looking forward, this is speaking of Abraham, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There it is again, looking forward to a different city. Forget this city. (laughs) If I need a car, I'm just going to go get a car. (laughs) I don't need the biggest and the best. If I need a house, I'm just going to get a house. I don't have to have the, the biggest house in the world. It's a, the it's a mind, mindfulness of the people of God that's different from the world. And here, here's another one, chapter 11, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Just here, man, I'm just, this, this is all Seth's story, Seth's line. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. In verse thirteen, for chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Okay, what's the point of those passages? What's that? Okay. What about it? Treasure in heaven, treasure on earth. What, what, what are the people of God supposed to be about? Treasure in heaven. Okay, let's, let's state the obvious because let's enjoy that because we've got to hammer into us. <laughs> we can hear it all day long and not be enough. Okay, what, what's, what are some other points? Right. Right. Live like you're leaving. Isn't there a song like that? Live like you're leaving? You ever heard that song? It's a good song. Just because of that point. I mean, that should be the mindfulness of people of God. In fact, we shouldn't even shop at Sam's. I'm going to title a message that someday Don't shop at Sam's. I'm serious. And of course, I'm being ridiculous. Go shop at Sam's. You know, you could eat a whole meal on the testers, you know. Mm, I'm seriously considering purchasing some of this. (laughs) I'll see you again in five minutes. The point being that mindfulness. Man, why do I want to go buy all this stuff that's going to last forever when I should be living like I'm temporal because I am. I'm a pilgrim, and um, I'm not going to be here long. Don't make a name for yourselves. If we bear his name, we're about making a name for him. We're about making his name famous. Okay. Now let's consider Lamech. He's kind of the key figure. Let's go back to Genesis Lamech is a key figure in Cain's line. If it helps you, on the back of a piece of paper, well, you could do it on the front of a piece of paper, but if you have like a, I don't know why the back, I'm thinking about the back of my notebook. You could do it on the front, but write Cain's line, put their names, and then put Seth's line and put their names. There's seven of them that are key. Now there's kind of some strap hangers down at the end where the seventh one had some kids in both cases, but there's seven primary characters, so you can sort these people out because some of them have the same names, and they fall out at different points. So if you if you don't if you aren't able to visualize this and see who they are, then you're liable to get them mixed up. Okay, but this is the last guy in Cain's line. Well, he's the last guy we're going to focus on. He's number seven. Uh, Seventh generation from Adam, counting Adam. That's the way they counted generations. Okay, so let's let's just for the sake of doing that together, let's look at that before we really look at Lamech. I'm asking you to do something that we could do together. Let's look um, starting in verse. Well, start verse 18. We know there's Cain. Well, just start at the beginning. Adam, Cain, Enoch is the third. Irad is the fourth. Mehajel is the fifth, Methushel is the sixth, and Lamech is the seventh. Okay, put those on the left side of the page. Okay, Lamech is the guy we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. This is a key figure in Cain's line. This is the first polygamist in the Bible. Now, let me ask a question that we need to ask. Is this forbidden at this point? Marrying your sister's not, obviously, because who'd Cain marry? Sis. Okay, but is polygamy forbidden? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, how so? Right, right. Good answer. And y'all are, that's, that's good. Good answer. Chapter 2, verse 24. The answer was, and I'll read it. they were pointing to where I'm about to read. Chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Not wives. He shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Yes, I think it's implied uh, that it is forbidden by just the clear teaching on the relationship between man and wife. Okay, So this guy, first of all, he transgresses in that area, obviously. That's my design. I like this woman, and I like her too. So I'm going to take both of these ladies. He's a self-proclaimed poet. He might have been proclaimed by somebody else, but at least we know that he's he's a poet, and this is the second poem in the Bible. Uh, Just contrast for a moment. Contrast Cain and Lamech. Remember Cain's story? Let, let me just go back and read it a little bit, and then let's go back and read Lamech's story. I want to contrast Cain and Lamech. Okay, Cain is the second of this line of seven. Lamech is the seventh. Okay, they're in the same line. Now, whenever Cain got crossways with God over his, um, over his offering, and that it was not accepted, nor, nor was Cain, he got mad at Abel, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, a little bit of defiance there. But there still sounds to be a little bit of fear. It sounds like a little bit of fear from Cain. Listen. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord promises Cain, No, that won't happen. But there's still some element. Although Cain is just so obviously about himself, it's more remorse than his repentance. It's not, Holy God, I've wronged you. It's, man, this is really going to cramp my plans for my future, you know. It's kind of a bummer that I'm not going to be able to do what I set out to do. But there still seems to be, in the way he's communicating with God, some element of fear of the Lord. Now contrast that with what Lamech says. These are the only words we have from Lamech. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 70-fold. <clears throat> what seems to be missing from Lamech's communication? From his only story, all we know about Lamech. There's no remorse. What else is missing? Okay, what else? Fear of who? He's Godless. Homeboy's completely godless in what he's saying. His evil surpasses Cain's evil in that Cain seemed to have some level of fear for God's authority. Lamech doesn't even acknowledge God. It's like, God who? This guy really fulfills that passage we were reading a minute ago. Although they knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God or give thanks to him. God who? Man. Uh, Something that, that I thought that was interesting was where part of his poem here, he used the, the phrase 70-fold. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 70-fold. Or, excuse me, 77-fold. Where else have you heard that? Yeah. Exactly. Keep your finger in Genesis and turn over to Matthew 18. All those years that Jesus studied in the temple... Reveal that he knew the word, obviously, he was the word. Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, he was asked the question in, uh, beginning in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. It's the same phrase, it's the only other place that it's used in the whole Bible. I think it's an interesting contrast between the two because it's almost as if, as man's vengeance is seventy times seven, God's forgiveness is seventy times seven. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Now let's start. Go back to Genesis chapter five. Excuse me, chapter four, verse twenty-five. This is now we're going to look at the second line. Okay, we finished up the first line. Lamech was the end of that. The murderer slash poet. Now we are in verse twenty-five. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. This is where we should get really excited, because this is where our story begins, if we're part of the people of God. This is our story. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Do you remember what she said about uh, Cain when Cain was born? I've, uh, she says, I- I've gotten a man. Remember that? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, how, where'd that come from? How about that? With the help of the Lord, I've gotten a man, is what she said. Do you remember how, uh, it's like, huh. Now, wait a second. I think the Lord is the one that provided that. Did any women go home and do that study, comparing Hannah's prayer and Hannah's song and Mary's mag, mag, uh, magnificat with um, Eve's words, where they're all saying, God, you are the one that gives life, where... Eve is saying, with the help of the Lord, I've gotten a man. Now notice the difference here. She says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. She's not even in that. It's God did it. God appointed for me. And this going to have something to do with his naming here in a minute. To Seth also a son was born, called his name Enosh. At that time, I guess if it's going to be like Enoch, it would be Enish. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a key key verse right there for our line, for our story. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. If we were stuck with Cain's line, we'd be in bad shape. But there's hope for humanity in Seth's line. Here's a parallel people who began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what does that mean, to call upon the name of the Lord? What do you think? I don't know. I hadn't looked at the Hebrew. Maybe El Shaddai. Probably El Shaddai. Okay. Okay. Trust. Okay. Good. What else? What did you say? Dependence. Dependence. Yeah, that's a good word. That's one I had down. Helplessness, almost. Hmm? Call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I need you this afternoon. Prayer. That's what the literal calling upon the name of the Lord is, a people of prayer. That's why the people of God should pray, because we're dependent, because we're helpless, because we're needy without Him, and we're calling upon the name of the Lord. Now, let's ease into chapter 5. Really, if I were to kind of draw chapter lines, I would draw it right before verse 25, because this second line all kind of fits together. But let me give you just a brief introduction to chapter 5, because it's a continuation of this second line. There's a connection here to the original intended creation because you'll see phrases like man created in the likeness of God. You're going to see a lot of language that you saw in the early creation story. This is sort of like, do we have any golfers? Probably got a lot of golfers. Okay, yeah, we like golf. I don't don't golf, but I I know there's a term that you use in golf when you've messed up and you want to try again. What's that term called? A mulligan. This is a mankind mulligan right here. It's not a God mulligan because God doesn't make mistakes. This was all part of his design. But this is a mankind mulligan where there's kind of a whole new people created, a whole new group of humanity. Starting in verse, or chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Connection between these two verses and chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Very similar language. Connection between God and the first parents, Adam and Eve, and parents and their children. So the naming of offspring and the repetition of likeness and image tie all those things together. You remember what naming was a picture of? Whenever God named something, or whenever He let Adam name something. Dominion and authority, those two words. So what does it mean when you name your children? It means you have dominion over them. You have, that's a scary word because we think dominate. Well, I don't want to dominate. Authority. <laughs> you are their authority, and you have dominion. That's Man, shepherds should just go, oh. I've been given dominion over this little micro-earth called home. Mine's at 10510 Woodland Drive, a little micro-earth that I've been given dominion over that I have an opportunity for Christ to be large, loose and at large up in that house. Man, what a cool, what a cool picture. I've been given dominion over three little kids. I don't mean domination of dominion. I mean authority in equipping them and in, in cultivating their little soil, soil their hearts. Okay? Let's look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Did anything strike you funny there? Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's almost like the relationship between God and Adam is now Adam-Seth. I mean, Adam's not God, but he's just talking about dominion. As God named Adam, now Adam and Eve are naming their kids. I mean, you see the, the, the picture. It's kind of like it's starting over. It's the language of creation. Is coming, coming around all again. Now, who is Seth a picture of then, if that's the case? What? Adam? Yeah, Seth is like a new Adam. That's what I'm talking about. It's like a new people, a new humanity is being created. A new people of God that are going to walk with God, that are going to that are call upon the name of the Lord. Remember this line, begins to call upon the name of the Lord? He leads out the mankind mulligan. Verse 4. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Remember what I told you, that a lot of these names are familiar. That Cain named his, I guess they just didn't have a real repertoire of names. You know, they didn't have those websites where you go and you're like, man, Irish names, and they are like 8 million of them. How did they do that? They're just very limited choices, I guess. That's a long way of saying that. But why don't we, just for the sake of, of having things kind of organized, just identify these seven people, okay? First of all, there's Adam, and then secondly, there's Seth, okay, so that's two. And Seth fathered Enosh, that's three. Enosh fathered Kenan, that's four. Let's see, Kenan fathered Mahal, Mahalalel, golly, that's Five. Mahalalel fathered Jared. There's six. And Jared fathered Enoch. Isn't that funny? See, Enoch, there's the city Enoch that was Cain's firstborn. And then the seventh line over here in Seth's side was Enoch also. That's why you got you to draw these things. I do. Maybe you can do it in your head. but Okay. First of all, these lives are a lot These lives are long. I mean, you got to agree. 800 years, 930 years. Uh, Something that's interesting here is on Seth's line, these lives have periods that demonstrate long life. And in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, even in the New, even in Ephesians, if you honor your father and mother, what's the blessing? Long life. Exactly. That's a blessing from God for faithfulness. So this side, we're seeing contrast between this city full of people. We don't even know how long they lived. We know they all died in the, in a, in a, in a, in the flood. We know that for sure. But this, these lives that are con, they're, they're characterized by long lives, pictures of faithfulness. Seth means granted. It also means to set place. Remember what Cain means? To acquire. No, that's Nod. Good. That's close. Cain, Cain lived in Nod. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cain means to acquire, to possess, like gimme. And Seth, on the other hand, means granted, to set, to place. Seth's son, his name is Enosh, means weakness. That'd be a bummer to name your kid weakness, wouldn't it? But that's actually kind of cool because weakness means a dependence on God. Weakness, you know, what a, what a weird otherworldly sort of thing. I want to name my, chi- my child dependent. Yes, my son, dependent. He's, oh, yeah, and here's my other kid, needy. <laughs> because they, they're urgently needing the Lord. Man, what a, what a great picture. Here's a note from a, a guy that I read regarding Enosh's name. He said, it is the consciousness of human frailty, this guy named Sarna, the consciousness of human frailty symbolized by the name Enosh that heightens man's awareness of utter dependence on God, a situation that intuitively evokes prayer. That should be the character of the people of God, like Enosh. So I, some of y'all that are pregnant? Okay, you may want, y'all want, may want to change the name Zeke. We could change it to Enosh. What do you think? No. (laughs) Yeah, it's done deal with it, yeah. All right, verse 7. Yeah, we're good. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. He was just a babe when he had Kenan. Mm -hmm. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the sons of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now, here's a key, key truth about this guy, the seventh, in, in contrast to Lamech. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, what do we know about Enoch just from this passage? Okay, well, let's let's take the phrases out of the passage. What do we know about Enoch? First of all, he walked with God. Now, this is a rare phrase. This phrase is not used often. It's used of Enoch... It's used of Levi, and it's used of one other guy. No? Elijah was another that was, all, all of a sudden was not. You're close. Who? Noah. Yeah, yeah, Noah was the third one that specifically it was said that walked with God. It's not just a picture of kind of a pious religious life either, it's a picture of a, uni- a unique almost supernatural intimacy with God. Okay, that was Enoch. And then there was all of a sudden a time when he was not. Okay, I want you to think about that for a minute. It means he didn't die. All right, so in that case, he's a type of what? You remember, I, let, me, let, me, let me acquaint you, because not everybody's acquainted with these pictures of types, uh, or of vehicles and tenors, or types of something when I, when I use the the phrase or when I ask you that question, it would be like numbers chapter twenty one where the um, Moses takes the the was it brass I don't know it was some sort of metal and makes a snake bronze makes a bronze snake and lifts it up and when they got bit by snakes, they could look to the bronze snake and live that's a type of what of a cross with christ okay that's that's vehicle and tenor is the cross in Christ and these types, these vehicles and tenors are all over the Bible if we're just looking for. And if we're just looking for God's redemptive character, we can see it over and over and over again. So if Enoch all of a sudden was not and he didn't die, what is he a type of? Or who is he a type of? No? No? Maybe. Maybe. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't go in that direction, but he could be. Yeah, cuz he was kind of like on a little mini rapture. Yeah. <clears throat> he's the type of us. Yeah, he's the type of believers because what what's true of our death? Do we experience the sting of death? Keep your finger in Genesis and look over to 1 Corinthians I want to show you a couple things in 1 Corinthians that I think are cool just to be mindful of as we're considering this, this Enoch, where we can start to see ourselves and say, ooh, that's me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. This is a passage really talking about the resurrection of Christ. And then it goes on to talk about... Um, Resurrection of those who have already died. Look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean? Well, yeah. I mean, kind of in world terms. But if they're believers, we could say, Man, you know, my granddaddy, um, Annie Wetzel, saying goodbye to her granddaddy a couple weeks ago, singing Rock of Ages, where he stopped, as he's mouthing the words, he stops breathing, singing Rock of Ages. We could say, he fell asleep in the Lord. If he's a believer, he fell asleep in the Lord. Man, what a sweet thing for us to think about. And why is that? This is also, in. let me just show you a couple other pictures. There's pictures of that. Verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he, no, that's not the verse I'm looking for, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There it is again. That's us when we die. In the world terms we die. But in really kingdom terms, we've just fallen asleep. And here's why. Look over in the same chapter to chapter 50 or verse fifty five. Look at verse 54 for sake of context. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is your sting? Fellow Enoch's. Pretty cool and it says God took him that's something else we know go back to genesis he walked with god he was not and we know that God took him now while a long life is a sign of god's favor enoch lived how many years 365 easy to remember okay he lived 365 years and then for him in some way it was better to be going to be with the lord than a long life he was blessed with going on and being the Lord, with the Lord. It's, this describes like a sudden, in, uh, sudden disappearance that also happened to Elijah. He's the only other person, the only other character that, that we know of that didn't experience death in the world definition of death. It's like he had a little mini rapture. Boop. and now he's gone. Okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. A couple other things we can learn about Enoch. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 tells us, by faith, Enoch, page 1007 of your Pew Bible, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So we know that also about Enoch, that he pleased God. God took him. He was not, he walked with God. Now, turn to the book of Jude. Y'all know where Jude is? It's like one page long, I think. And it's on page, some of you wishing you had a Pew Bible now. It's a 1027. Or ESV. <clears throat> Jude chapter 1. I have to admit that I haven't read Jude a whole lot. <laughs> I read it because I was doing a search for Enoch, and there he was right there. And I, I read the whole book, though. That's right. I said, you know, I want to be especially diligent and just go ahead and read this whole book. Yeah. So in verse 14, oh wait, in this, this book is like a catalog of Old Testament stories. This guy Jude, I mean, he throws out everybody you can think of. It's amazing. And he uses them. It's like his language. He, he's speaking Biblish as he's writing the book of Jude. It's just one one story, one Old Testament character after another that he uses. But in verse 14, it says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, there he is, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Would you look at that? There he is, Enoch, referred to in the book of Jude. It's pretty amazing. And what he's, right, what he's referring to, actually, is an apocryphal book, the book Enoch, which is, you know, our, our, our people that have put together our Bible, our canon, didn't believe that it's inspired and there are oftentimes times that our writers refer, Paul refers to pagan writers, and it's just using their, their illustrations and their language, but it's not, it's not necessarily saying that they're inspired or that it's canonical, meaning that it should be in the Bible. So just the fact that Jude refers to it doesn't mean that Enoch should be in our Bible. But it could very, very well be true, what he said, because apparently he may have been a prophet to some extent. Uh not not my, yeah, I guess. I don't the what? First book of Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know that some of the, the the apocryphal books are worth reading, but don't put them on on I mean I I wouldn't encourage that. You know, I, you may have a different view on that, but I'm very comfortable with this being complete. Uh I trust the the folks that ran on putting that that canon together, um, but a lot of a lot of the guys that study this go and read those books because there's lots of things to be, you know, Clay was reading a commentary the other day where Leon Morris referred to uh, first, second Maccabees or first, second Esdras, Esdras or something like that, and um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's authoritative, but it's not on, on level with inspired Scripture. Okay, he was seventh in the line of the generation from Adam, Lamech was, Seventh in the generation from Adam. Both of them were, were seventh, Lamech and Enoch. And it seems to be almost an intentional contrast between these two characters. You know, it seems to be an intentional contrast between these two guys. Now, we're about to finish out this chapter, verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Now, there are different Old Testament versions. The Masoretic text is what our Old Testament is translated from primarily. And the Masoretic text places Methuselah dying in the year of what? The flood. And you've got to wonder if he died of old age or if he died because he wasn't a good swimmer. I don't know, but he died in that same year. And um, that's just a little side note. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 122 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed... Listen to this verse. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, Noah is... We're going to study this as we climb into this in these next couple of chapters, but Noah is a type of who? Christ. Okay? A remnant is preserved through... It's a different piece of wood. You know, his piece of wood is an ark, and there's undeserving on that ark. (laughs) And that... It's it's kind of a picture of the cross in some ways, Um, but one of the key things that helps us understand that is verse twenty nine here. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That could be Christ's story. I mean, you could very easily say, "Well, man, that's thankfully he fulfilled the law. He's brought us relief from our work, so we our work is no longer the work of the law." from the painful toil of our hands and now our work now is to believe on him whom he has sent John 6 our work now is to strive to enter his Sabbath rest which our Sabbath rest is Christ crucified and risen Jason hmm. oh is that right? Well, maybe he died of old age then. And yeah. The and no yeah. Yeah. As y'all are reading ahead and preparing for... The, we're not going to meet next Wednesday because of, the, uh, because of Thanksgiving. But the Wednesday after that, we will meet. But as you're preparing, you're reading ahead, I encourage you, as you're reading the story of Noah and the ark, to try and kind of read this anew. And let me, let me prepare you for something. Don't read this as bad guys sink, good guys float. Okay? Don't read it that way. Read grace and judgment. Okay, that's, that's the way you need to read it. And we'll talk about that more in these next couple weeks. Let me pray. I took you over a couple minutes, but let me, let me pray and we'll dismiss you all. Oh, well, let me say this before I dismiss Somebody has asked me about some study tools, just what's a really good helper to help you learn how to ask good questions, learn how to study a book of the Bible, learn how to gather contextual information. Of the books that I've read, the courses that I've taken, this this is far and away the best instrument that I've found in teaching you how to study your Bible. And it's called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. It is a wonderful, wonderfully well-written book. And it's not super academic that it's just like a bunch of heady information. It's very down to earth. It takes you through some practical exercises that teach you how to ask good questions and teach you how to connect dots and teach you how to, to uh, really be an investigator, but also someone who's applying the word and figuring out, well, what, what does this mean for today? You know, is this going to be an academic event or is this going to have impact on life and home and, and love's? And uh, this, this book, Living by the Book, book Howard Hendricks, is a, is a wonderful guide. You know, if, if you think, man, I could never have the discipline to work through that myself, then maybe you and a friend, maybe somebody you've been thinking about discipling or being discipled by, could buy it and work through it together. Really what you're doing when you do that is you are, when you do something like this, you're unleashing this thing right here. This thing will scream that may whisper to you now, it'll scream at you. I don't mean scream in a bad way. It'll, it'll, it'll be amplified and exposed in a way that you... This, this would be worth 150, 500 of the Christian, other Christian books that are really, and I don't want to dismiss those because those can be worth, worthwhile, but if that's all you read, you're, all you're eating is previously digested food. That's gross. Think about that. what you're doing now i read other books but if that's all you read and you read those more than this then you're reading somebody else's digestive food you want this to be your primary meal (laughs) and something like this is a good tool to help you get there so commit to doing it with somebody and um it's a great great time together I heard somebody say that the reason that we should work so hard with our children, teaching them to read, teaching them English, teaching them how to write, is so they can understand this book better. I mean, if, if that's the only reason we're teaching our kids, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. I mean, we want them to be literate. Um, but ultimately, we want them to teach them to be able to dig in that book. Let me pray. God, we appreciate our time together tonight. And, um, Lord, we appreciate these two lines and we recognize that it's by grace that you have preserved a remnant and are preserving a people and gathering people from the four winds. An undeserving people, a, hopefully a surprised and shocked um, people that are characterized by worship and wonder. Lord, I pray that as a result of that, it's the people that are characterized by faithfulness, people characterized by dependence, neediness, by people that walk with you. Of people that cry out to you. Lord, I pray that we can be um, a people by your grace and by your mercy working in us, that we can be a people that are like Enoch and that we walk with you and that we have just a supernatural, sweet, divine relationship with you. Lord, we confess that through the finished work of Christ that we do have a relationship and we are thankful and we just ask for more, whatever you can give us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.